Welcome to the Just Ingredients Podcast. I'm Cara Lynn, and here we talk all things nourishing to the mind, body, and soul. This is a place where you can find just good ingredients to life. Have you been wanting to try a new Just Ingredients product? This year, I am celebrating my birthday by gifting you 20% off site-wide. That's right, get 20% off of every Just Ingredient product from August 5th to August 7th. Now is the perfect time to try out that new protein or pre-workout flavor you've been eyeing, or stock up on your favorite beauty products. This sale only comes twice a year, so you don't want to miss out. Mark your calendars for August 5th to get 20% off site-wide. Shop the sale at justingredients.us. Once again, that's justingredients.us on August 5th through the 7th. Dr. Ashley Mayer is a practicing physician taking care of families for the past 12 years. In 2014, she founded Dr. Green Mom, a now global brand passionate about foundational health care for children. As a leader in the field of vaccine safety and awareness education, Dr. Mayer teaches parents how to not only recognize and manage current risk and benefit of their child's vaccine schedule, but also how to support the child's neurological and immune systems through the vaccination process. VaccineStrategy.com launched in 2019, empowering parents to make informed vaccine decisions because the current vaccine schedule is not a one-size-fits-all for our children. Dr. Mayer has diligently kept up with a National Medical Freedom Healthcare Provider List for parents needing access to providers who believe in medical freedom and informed consent. Dr. Mayer's true passion lies in formulating safe, natural products for mothers, infants, and children. Your child's health care begins in the womb, so mamas need to take care of themselves, too. You may find more information at drgreenmom.com. Welcome to the show, everyone. I am really excited today to have Dr. Mayer back with us. She did a podcast episode a few back about vaccines, and you guys loved it. It was a neutral-sided conversation, just really informative, and you guys shared it with so many people and reached out and said you loved it. So I thought, we've got to have her back to discuss other topics. So thank you, uh, Dr. Mayer, for being here again. Oh, I'm so happy to be here. I had so much fun last time. And so I think this one will be just as great. I'm sure it will be. Will you just give my listeners just a little bit background about yourself in case they haven't listened to that vaccine episode? Just tell them a little bit about yourself. Sure. I am trained as a naturopathic medical doctor, board certified. Uh, So I'm a family physician. I see pretty much all of the kiddos and all of the adults who are coming for a second or a third opinion. So it's, Hey, I went to my doctor. They can't figure out what's wrong with me. They wanted me to be on this medicine or et cetera. So I'm coming to you because I know I don't have this diagnosis because I'm deficient in this medication. So please help me. And that is what I do. I love putting the pieces of the puzzle together for um, patients health. I love how you just said that, that they're not deficient in that medicine. I've never heard it said that way. So that's a great line. I, I might use that on Instagram. Isn't it beautiful? It is. <laughs> it's so true though. So today I want to talk to you about different topics that I get asked quite a bit about on social media from parents. I'm just typical, well, I shouldn't say typical, but common illnesses, diseases, things like that, that happen in kids. So can we first start with ADHD? Absolutely. Let's talk about what is ADHD 
And what are the symptoms of ADHD? So by definition, ADHD is attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. So the way that we diagnose is we go off the psychiatric recommendations and it's two things. So we have to look at several symptoms under inattention. So if the child uh, or the adult has issues with losing things regularly, forgetfulness, unorganization, those are a few of the symptoms that someone with inattention will have. Now, the other side of that, to, in order for us to diagnose with ADHD, is impulsivity, so impulse control, fidgets, um, can't sit still in class, excessively talks. So there are several, you can't just diagnose ADHD because, you know, a kid can't sit still. That is not a diagnosis for ADHD. We, we have to look at several, several symptoms under that category in order to diagnose a child or an adult with ADHD. I liked how you said several, because when you said loses things, unorganized, I was like, well, dang, that's my teenage boys. But I don't think they have it. I just make that little joke. Okay, but what is the difference between ADHD and ADD? You know, it's interesting. I do get that question still quite a bit. It's the same thing. So in order to diagnose it, the DSM-5, which is what we use to diagnose patients, the only diagnosis code we use is attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. There is no ADD diagnosis. It's ADHD. We use ADD sometimes because some of us just think that we're forgetful and lose things, but we're not hyper, (laughs) but we only have one diagnosis. Okay, good to know. I'm glad you clarified that. So when does ADHD typically develop? Is it something you're born with or do you develop it over time? Great question. So there's two things. Absolutely that it can be hereditary. Um, The other side of it is environmental. So there's two sides to someone having ADHD. And generally, I think you ask, when do we start to notice this? So sometimes we can, in order to diagnose inattention or hyperactivity, we don't start to see those symptoms typically until a child starts at about school age. Um, It can be hereditary though. We just don't actually see those types of symptoms very early on. Now, can't there be a huge variety of different reasons why someone has ADHD? Like, aren't there a lot of different root causes for ADHD? Oh my gosh. So Typically, a child who's diagnosed with ADHD may or may not actually be diagnosed with ADHD. It's just that the teachers at school say, oh my gosh, the child can't sit still at school, like they need to be on Ritalin or something. They may not necessarily have ADHD, they're just bored in class. So let me preface that. Now, um, there are several multiple causes that we've researched, one being environmental insults. So toxicity, pesticides, chemicals in the home, food dyes, excessive amounts of sugar. I mean, all of these help to unregulate a neurological system. Okay. So I actually just talked to a doctor the other day who told me that somebody who is low in zinc and high in copper might have ADHD tendencies. And I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. Micronutrient deficiencies or excess. So Um, We just don't get the minerals in our food like we used to. So we don't do crop rotation. 
um, we excessively use up what is in our ground with the same crops all of the time. And so we don't get the necessary vitamins and minerals that we, we used to. So if someone comes to you with ADHD, is there a way to treat it or manage it? Or do you go look for the root causes? Like where does someone start if they have a child with ADHD? I usually do testing. It's the first thing, if in doubt, test. So there's a couple tests that I look at. Um, I look for a neurotransmitter test, which is a urine test. So we'll do a urine neurotransmitter. We generally do what's called a urine organic acids test. Um, that helps to let me know the gut brain connection. And then we also do testing for micronutrient deficiencies. So I don't like to guess. I don't like to throw things at the wall in hopes that they stick. It gets expensive. So if I said, hey, let's just assume your kid might be low in zinc because we've seen some research that excess copper causes ADHD, I want to test that. I want to know what is your level of zinc? Maybe that's not the problem. It could be something else. And so I, I say, don't guess, test. So are there other common nutritional deficiencies that would be correlated with ADHD? Um, so DHA and EPA, uh, it comes in fish oil. I like to say that the brain bathes itself in DHA and it helps with those neural connections because our neurons are layered in this fatty layer. And so DHA helps with that. There are several nutrients that you may be deficient in, which can cause hyperactivity disorder. So if a parent comes to you with their child, do you first suggest, hey, let's maybe cut out sugar or wheat, dairy, let's eat more whole foods. Is that just typical practice for someone like you? Well, I think it's typical just as a foundational experience for parents, no matter what the diagnosis is, whether it's allergies, ADHD, eczema, et cetera, is, hey, look, you need to choose whole foods. You need to choose foods from the ground. I tell parents, though, you can't completely omit foods. So as an example, food dyes, you can't completely omit food dyes from a child's palate. And the reason is, is because they'll end up finding it somewhere else later. So I tell parents, look, if red dye 40, you do a test with your child and red dye 40 ends up causing them to kind of go off the rails, you know, super excited. You can't get them to calm down. Don't choose to give them red dye 40 on a weekday when they go to school, you know, do that on a weekend where you know that they're going to be out of school. So that could be more of a treat. So if they really love Skittles or if they really love M&Ms, that can be more of a treat. Just don't do it when you know they need to be focused or calm. <laughs> and the teacher will appreciate you for that. Yeah. So I say a foundation of, you know, a good probiotic, uh, you want a good fish oil, a good quality DHA fish oil for your child. And then we work off of what we find on the lab results. And that's, kind of, that, that's what we do, but also keep in mind a child with ADHD, the number one thing you can do as a parent is compassion. Have an understanding that your child may or may not think the way you do if they forget something at school or if they don't pay attention for longer than 15 minutes at a time, be understanding that this is not your child and who they are. This is their diagnosis. So just have empathy for what your child is going through. And there are things that you can do in the home too, to help with structure for the child. 
So a lot of times when parents hear ADHD, they immediately think, oh, I've got to go get him on medicine or them on medicine. So do you always have to be on medicine for ADHD? Well, you're talking to an ADHD diagnosis. I do not take medication. <laughs> there are the older that we get, the more that we recognize um, the, our limitations, the things we can and can't do. So I need to keep a schedule. I need to nourish myself with healthy foods. And so do children with ADHD. There are sticky notes that I put everywhere to as, as gentle reminders. So when your child is younger, though, a really great way to help them without medication is finding a classroom that works for them. So if that's a Montessori school or a Reggio Emilio school where they can focus for 15 to 20 minutes at a time on the task and they can take a break or find a setting that is conducive to your child's learning because ADHD doesn't mean that they need to be medicated. They just may need to focus a different way than we do. So set your child's surroundings and environment up for them to succeed, not necessarily, oh, hey, we need to medicate to get them to sit in a chair for several hours at a time. Make sense? Yes. Okay. So I have a question then, because I know you're very neutral with vaccines. So I'm assuming you're very neutral with medicine, that there is a time and a place for it and some need it and some don't. And so are there times when kids need ADHD medicine? Because I don't want us to sound like we're being so negative towards medicine. If it comes down to your child has an inability to cohabitate in its surroundings, in the child's surroundings, I will start on something. With the idea that we are going to change lifestyle behaviors, we are going to modify nutrition, we are going to work on some of these deficiencies we might find on lab results. And then we'll slowly wean you off the medication. So yes, I am a firm believer in medicine only when it's absolutely necessary. So if we do lifestyle modifications, or if we change their setting in school to help them, you know, learn better, if we do those things and they get better, no, we don't need a medication, but sometimes it's necessary. It's just overprescribed right now because it is the only, the only treatment that, you know, the average, I don't want to say average, but the only treatment that a physician will generally offer to you in the doctor's office. Right. Well, and I think sometimes parents might think that this medicine is going to cure them, which it's not, it's just going to be more of a help or a, like a bandaid for the situation. It's called symptom management. Your child is not ADHD because they are deficient in Ritalin. So your child is ADHD because either it's a genetic component or it's an environmental component or a mix of both. So find what those genetic components are or find what those environmental components are and let's get to the cause of why your child might have ADHD. But always keep in mind, Ritalin or Adderall is just a Band-Aid to help stabilize your child to get through their day. Okay. I love how you explained that. That was really good. Okay. Mm -hmm. Is there anything else you would like to tell the listeners about ADHD or can I move on to the next topic? I'm just going to tell you, if your child is diagnosed ADHD, they're probably going to be a rock star as an adult. So just keep that in mind. They are going to be able to spin a whole lot of plates. They might drop a couple, but they're going to, their brain is going to work so much faster and so much more efficient 
than most people's. The highest paid executives, the people who do the best as adults generally have some type of ADHD. I love, love, love that. I love that positivity and encouragement. Yes, Thank you I'll so much. Thank mm-hmm. you. Okay, let's move on to another topic. How about seasonal allergies? Right now, I've got a lot of listeners DMing me about seasonal allergies or kids with seasonal allergies. So what is causing these seasonal allergies and what can these parents do to help them? I think it's it's allergy in general. So keep that in mind. It's food allergies, it's environmental allergies, and it is seasonal allergies. One, living in Arizona, we have so many plants here in Arizona that aren't supposed to be here. (laughs) And so if you live in an area that is taking plants and trees that are not supposed to be in that area, chances are quite likely many of you will have allergy. Now, there are two types of the immune system. I think this is so much fun. And most people find this like way over their head, but I'll, I'll lame in it. TH1 and TH2. So the two types of the immune system are TH1 and TH2. If your child or yourself has an overacting TH2 part of their immune system, they are going to be more prone to allergies and eczema. So now you're like, well, okay, what do you do about that? You want to balance TH1 and TH2. So that's what I teach patients in my practice is, all right, if my TH2 immune system is overworking, I want to balance my TH1. And that's why you hear often quercetin that's so important for seasonal allergies. Well, it's because it's a TH1 inducer. Mm. So you have to increase that TH1 part of the immune system to help balance or modulate the immune system. So you don't have this histamine freak out every time, you know, the pollen comes into count. That is so interesting. I'm so glad you explained it that way. So besides quercetin, is there anything else we can do to increase that TH1? There's so many herbs. So you can just Google how to balance the TH1 and TH2, but astragalus, echinacea, you know, the very best one is turmeric. Oh, that makes sense. Yes. So there are so many out there. Um, fish oil is super helpful. A probiotic is super helpful. I mean, I usually push a foundational approach to health is always your probiotic and always your fish oil. <laughs> right. Those are the, those are the two parts of foundational health, but those are actually helpful to induce a TH1 immune response. That is so interesting. Okay. So if someone comes to you with terrible allergies, um, like the eyes watering and the nose running or stuffy, you know, just constant, is there anything that you can give them for relief? Or what do you suggest? Don't guess test. So I'll generally, if I don't do it myself, I'll send them to an allergist for testing. So there's two types of testing. You can do an IgE test and that's a blood test. Or um, I don't know if you've heard of the scratch test where you put the allergens on the kid or the adults back. And then you wait to see that histamine red wheel that appears. Right. The other is an IgG delayed response. I prefer the IgE for environmental allergies. So here's an example. This is really cool. I had a patient come to my office. She's an adult. What she thought was seasonal allergies. So I said, all right, let's just do some testing. Do you know what she was off the charts in? What's that? Mouse fecal matter. Oh, wow. Guess what? They, she went back to her home. There were mice living in the walls. 
So they did a remediation and that's what calmed her immune system. So she's thinking it's the pollen. I got, you know, the trees are going nuts. It's springtime. No, honey, you have mouse in your walls, mice in your walls. Wow. So that's why I say it's so important to do some testing first. So let's say, you know, pollen comes back and dust mites come back. So what do we do? We start on calming that TH2 response, like I said, by increasing the TH1 herbs, nutrition, et cetera. We clean up the area. So we use air purifiers. Um, I use germ guardian, but there's some really great new uh, air purifiers out on the market. So I suggest that in your home air purifiers. And that's just where we start. So we start with those and then we kind of deal with the leftover symptoms, maybe with medication. So I am a firm believer in antihistamine medication when we can't calm it naturally. Okay. And I have to testify about the air purifiers because I have a 12 year old boy who does get seasonal allergies pretty bad. And um, we do the probiotics. Of course, he eats well in our house and the air purifier, though, in his bedroom works wonders, helps Absolutely. so much during the night. So I'll tell you, if you're allergic to pollen, chances are quite likely that you're allergic to dust mites. So it goes hand in hand. Oh, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize that. Okay, so now there's a lot of, I don't know if controversy is the right word, but people will say like, well, antihistamine drugs can make it worse. Is that true? Well, anything in moderation, I think is okay. Over time, I don't know if it's the antihistamine drug or a, or a steroid medic medicine. So a steroid medicine will end up having a potential rebound effect and it'll make you more stuffy. Antihistamines are generally short acting. So I don't notice as much of a long-term problem with those okay. making it worse. What I find making it worse is generally the corticosteroids like Flonase, for instance. Okay. So I have one other question for you because I only, I have six children, only two of them deal with seasonal allergies. The other four don't. So what is the cause of that? Is it genetics? Is it some just have a different gut than others? What's the, Uh, well, let me ask you, were they all born vaginally? Yes, they were. Okay. Sometimes if there's a C-section or sometimes if certain foods are introduced too early or if I'm going to say this word, cause you said it and it's okay to say it on here, but vaccines that can cause a problem. Here's a little tidbit. Aluminum is in most of our childhood vaccines and has been thoroughly researched as a TH2 inducer. The hmm. whole point, the whole point of aluminum as an adjuvant in vaccines is to induce a TH2 response, which is the pusher of allergies and eczema. So, um, yeah, but also keep in mind each one of your children just get one copy of you because then your husband gives them a copy. So they may not have had the exact copy, all of your children. Does that make sense? Yep. So, so that's generally why we see some kids in the family do some, some kids in the family don't, especially if you've across the board, vaginal delivery, no antibiotic use as a child because antibiotics actually are have been thoroughly researched to cause allergy and eczema later in life. So if all six of your kids across the board are exactly the same and all of the environmental or epigenetic reasons, um, it can be just that, you know, 
one copy from you or your husband wasn't exactly up to par with regards to <laughs> allergy exposure. <laughs> okay, well, that makes sense. Good to know. Okay, I'm going to move on to another topic because I've got lots of topics to ask you about. Since you just talked about eczema, let's talk about eczema. Why is that so common these days? Oh, gosh. Like I said, as an example, vaccination. I'm not anti-vax again, but I'll tell you that the TH2 immune response gets stimulated every time you do a round of vaccines. So if your child innately already has a TH2 dominant immune system, that round of vaccines is going to further perpetuate that immune response to cause eczema and allergies. What I see in my office is the culprits for um, eczema. It's either a food intolerance or a GI disturbance. So it's generally one of those two and they're kind of linked together. They go hand in hand. The number one uh, inducer of allergy, I believe, or in eczema and allergy is dairy. Yeah, I've heard that from quite a few people. And why is that? It's just a hard protein to digest or it's Uh, causing havoc on our gut? It's mucus producing, so it's inflammatory. Mm. Um, and, and if, in fact, a child already has problems with their gut, they if they already have like what we call a leaky gut, those protein peptides can leak out into the immune system and cause an immune response, which then in turn may cause eczema. I, I am seeing so much eczema. It's environmental toxicity too. It's the lotions and all the potions we use on our kids. It's the cleaning products in our home. Um, again, for foundational health, get rid of all that junk. (laughs) Easier said than done for a lot of people. I know, I know. Um, But for small children, it's usually the immune system, the immune system and the gut go hand in hand. And so if there's a reaction in the gut, the immune system's turned on and I see a lot of eczema in small children. Okay. So you see on social media a lot, little sayings that will say like eczema is gut related. So healing the gut will heal eczema. Is that true? It's one of the components. So healing the gut and working on balancing that immune system, that TH1, TH2 immune system. So you've got two things that you got to do, you know, infant newborns, parents come to me and their child has eczema. All right. They, and they're breastfeeding. Um, It could be the proteins in the mom's breast milk. So they need to remove foods or or it could be an immune response. So it's never just like, oh, we got to heal the gut for 100% of eczema conditions. Okay. That's good to know. But why is eczema gut related? So most of our immune system is inhabited in the gut. So we have this, this enteric system and we have this mucosal immune system in our gut. And when our gut is inflamed, it shows in our skin. So keep in mind, our skin is the largest organ of detoxification and retoxification. So if we have toxicity or if we have problems with the lining of our gut and it's causing an immune imbalance, we may see it in the skin because we are detoxing the body. Okay. So I'm assuming that's sort of the same issue then with acne. So it can be, um, I see a lot of acne also too, uh, issues with the liver or hormones. So liver and hormones, I'll usually attribute more to acne. Um, I get a lot of questions about baby acne. Oh my gosh, what can I do for my baby's acne? What can I put on their skin? What can I do? 
mama, just relax. If it's not bothering baby, it's probably because baby is still processing all of your hormones and getting rid of them. So just oh. give it a minute. Yeah. Give it a minute with baby acne. Cause it'll generally heal itself. And if babe's not scratching at it, it's just parents want their baby to look fresh and beautiful, like for all the photos. And it's like, why do I got all this cradle cap? And why do I got all this acne on my baby? Like they don't look like the pictures I see on social media. <laughs> well, that, that's really interesting that it's just the baby detoxing, maybe some of the mom yeah. stuff. Yeah. Getting rid of mama's hormones. Oh, that is really interesting. Okay. Talking about the gut, I actually want to ask you about depression or anxiety, because a lot of times you hear that those are related to the gut as well. Is that mm -hmm. the case? It's absolutely true. So most of the serotonin that we use in our brain uh, is made in our gut. So we have this HPA access. So this hypothalamic pituitary access that speaks right to our gut. So everything from our brain and our gut, they're constantly communicating. So what do you think it is that's harming these kids guts so much? The last two years, do you mean to tell you what I think it is? Stress. <laughs> Uh, so when, when, when we're stressed, whether we're an adult or a child, I see, I've generally over time seen this mostly in adults, but I'm seeing this a lot more in kids too, with it is stressed when we're stressed out, our stomach stops producing stomach acid. And the reason is, is because our bodies don't know the difference, whether we're literally running from a bear or if we're psychologically or emotionally running from a bear. So all of that blood leaves our stomach and it goes to our limbs so that we can literally go run. We are not digesting and assimilating our food properly because we don't generally have enough stomach acid. And I think that is one of the things that contribute to, to our problems with anxiety and depression. Is the gut being a mess from the stress? Exactly. And that's what I'm seeing in kids having to perform at such a level and having to hit these marks and being at home for the past two years, not being around friends. I mean, there was a lot of stress put on children and we don't think so much about it, but that's why we see, uh, I think suicide, ch childhood suicide is, is it number one or number two cause for cause of death in, in kiddos right now, I think. Oh, it it's high. I know that, which is really sad. So I have a question about uh, depression and the gut. So how does a parent know if, if their child has gut issues? Don't guess test. <laughs> so if, if your child has issues with constipation, diarrhea, or if they're complaining about stomach pain regularly, not the occasional, oh mom, my stomach hurts. But if they have any of those symptoms, I generally recommend getting a stool test done. So a comprehensive digestive stool test, and that will help that in a neurotransmitter, a urine neurotransmitter test generally helps as well. Cause a urine neurotransmitter test will tell us what your dopamine levels look like, what your epi and norepinephrine levels look like and what your serotonin levels look like. So if you're not producing enough serotonin in the gut, it's going to show up on that urine neurotransmitter test that serotonin is low. And that is the direct cause of depression. And that's why we put kids and adults on SSRIs, serotonin reuptake inhibitors. Okay. So this actually requires finding the correct pediatrician or the correct doctor because some doctors won't do these tests. They'll do just the usual blood work and that's it. 
That's right. So unfortunately, we've come to this place in the United States and probably other countries too, where it's, oh, there's a pill for that. So a kid comes in who's depressed and it's, oh, let's put you on Zoloft, which is a serotonin reuptake inhibitor, instead of let's find the root cause. So typically, if someone comes into my office who's severely depressed, I will initially put them on a medicine. And again, like I've, ta I've talked about in some of the other topics that you and I have discussed, we'll do testing. We'll start working on those, what we see in those results with lifestyle changes, with nutrient changes, and then we'll slowly wean you off of the medication because sometimes depression or anxiety will inhibit a person's ability to live in society. So I like to help while we're looking for the cause, I will generally put someone on a medicine. So I love how you said that because actually when I dealt with my depression 15 years ago, I did do an antidepressant until we figured out all the root causes of my depression because I had so many different ones. And I worked with my doctor for like 18 months to heal from all of these issues. And then we weaned off the antidepressant and I have felt great ever since because we addressed the root cause. And so I haven't had that issue since, but why do you think so many doctors though won't address the root cause? Oh my gosh. We talked about this last time. Pediatricians have like seven minutes with your oh. kid. So it, you know, it, it's so tough and it's not the doctor's fault generally. It's, Hey, I need to get you in. I need to get you out. I don't even really know who you are. I know nothing about you, but I know that you're depressed. So here's a pill. There are the labs that I really love, like great plains laboratory, Genova labs and vibrant America. Those three companies have all of these labs I'm telling you about, but what's great about all three of them is if you go to their website and contact customer service they can find a doctor in your area that is willing to help you with this type of testing. And it's sometimes out of pocket. And that's really unfortunate in America that our insurance isn't covering some of this. Um, so that is one way to find someone who will listen to you. If it's not going to be the pediatrician or your regular doctor, family doctor that you go see if you're an adult. Okay. So depression, like you said, is a serious concern for children right now. So I had the experience of taking my child, not for depression, but for a food intolerance to a pediatrician because our regular pediatrician that we had for years and years that I loved retired. So I was in the market looking for a new one, <laughs> took her to this pediatrician and it was terrible. He didn't do any testing or anything. He just was like, well, maybe you should just eliminate gluten from the diet. And I was like, no, duh. I already know uh -huh. that I need more help. So I went and found another doctor who we love, but my question is, so these parents that are dealing with kids that are dealing with depression, Sometimes it takes a while to get the right help. So what do you suggest that these parents do in the meantime? Oh, gosh, I don't want to say it, but probably Dr. Google. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's the that's the thing. Like we've resorted to using the Internet because we just can't get help. So there's herbs that are helpful with depression. Um, go to cola, passion flower hops, some of that will help to calm the system. There's just so many herbs out there. I hate to just kind of keep throwing options out there. You know, a lot of parents have resorted to 5-HTP, which is a precursor to serotonin. So when in doubt, if you don't know what's going on with your child, 
a foundational probiotic, foundational fish oil, uh, 5-HTP, B vitamins mm -hmm. are amazing for depression and anxiety. And we're generally deficient in those because our brains are using up vitamins so fast, especially B5 and B6. Um, and so if you did a combination just to start off with, and this is not medical advice, but a good foundational probiotic, a good DHA, a 5-HTP source with a B complex, that will help to get you or your child going in the right direction while you're looking for help. Thank you. I appreciate that. And this is what I tell some people, because I'll get people that in a panic, like DM me, you know, like they're dealing with depression and I can't get into this doctor for a while. So I do say, well, then go to your regular doctor that can do blood work and at least see if it's just that they're low in vitamin D or low in magnesium or some of the basics, because sometimes it's just as simple as that. Or an, even an antidepressant to get going. Right. So you're waiting to get into the right doctor, starting on an antidepressant, checking vitamin D levels, like a, a micronutrient deficiency is real. So, but it's not widely accepted in most practices to look at your specific micronutrients, which I think is a big bummer. But those three labs I mentioned have micronutrient panel options. Okay. So I have a question for you because a lot of times anxiety gets grouped in the same with depression. Like we almost use the words interchangeable, like depression, anxiety. So if a child is dealing with anxiety, is it the same sort of help that you would give someone with depression or not necessarily? Foundationally? Yes. So it's the same. It's all the gut brain connection. So we look, we want to look at neurotransmitter imbalance. I do not have depression. I have quite severe anxiety and, and I take, I take a natural approach to it. So it's so interesting that they clump the two together because it's like the opposite. Right. <laughs> so that's what I think. And I think they maybe clump it together because it's mental health. That's yeah, the only thing I can think of. Yeah. It's like depression. I can't get out of bed, but anxiety, you can't peel me off the ceiling. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I treat them foundationally the same because it is a gut brain connection but the medicines that I use or the herbs that I use um, are, are different. Do you think that anxiety has risen along with the depression just because of the circumstances for the last two years? Oh my gosh, absolutely. Just think about just gas prices alone. <laughs> That's I mean, true. That is anxiety inducing for a household who has a very limited budget. Um, the housing market, in anxiety inducing, trying to find or even rent a home for your family. For kids who haven't been around their friends, they haven't had social interaction. That is anxiety inducing. Um, and so factor in all of these things these last two years, and we have a society of depression and anxiety, both. And it's not being addressed at the doctor's office. It's here is Valium for your anxiety, and here's Zoloft for your depression. Um, instead of trying to address the root cause of your anxiety, I'm going to tell you what, I think talk therapy is amazing. <laughs> if you can't do anything else but go find someone to talk to, I think that's a really great first step. Okay, so actually, let's talk about talk therapy just for a minute because I know it's great for a lot of situations. And when I think about me going to talk therapy, when I had my depression, it didn't help at all. And now looking at it, I'm like, 
Oh, because I was low in B vitamins. I was low in vitamin D. I was low in magnesium. My adrenals were off. My cortisol was off. Like no talk was going to help me through these uh, (laughs) issues, these health issues. So there is a time and a place for talk therapy, but we also have to address the root causes, correct? Absolutely. So I guess some of the depression of anxiety over the past two years for kids is just not having that emotional outlet, not having that opportunity to be able to talk to others. Um, I'll tell you what, talk therapy helped me because of like past traumas, but past that you get to a point where it's like, all right, what else do I talk about? Like, I need to start addressing some of the things that you said, my cortisol was off. Like I wasn't getting enough sleep. So micronutrient deficiency. So yeah, there's always a time and place for all of these. And it really just depends on you. So all of us are created so differently. And the idea of our medicine here in the United States is a pill fixes everybody. So all of us from different backgrounds with different traumas and different reasons why we're anxious, all of us can take volume and we can feel better in like 30 minutes. Okay, so I better say, because I don't want my listeners to think that I don't like talk therapy. I think it's amazing. My point for saying that was purely like, do your talk therapy, but also address the root causes and make sure you aren't dealing with anxiety and depression because of health issues. Oh, absolutely. So I usually do any testing before I recommend anything. So if doing testing and we find out that you have these deficiencies, I won't even recommend talk therapy because we're going to work on these deficiencies first. If you tell me that you've had past trauma and you're having a hard time getting through it, or there was a death in the family recently, or you were abused as a child, talk therapy, super important, even while we're working on micronutrient deficiencies. Fully agree. 100%. Okay. So you mentioned sleep. Let's just talk about sleep really quick. Cause sleep plays a <laughs> huge role in all of these health issues that we've just talked about. Um, but yet a lot of kids and people have a hard time sleeping, but doesn't sleep help with depression, anxiety, ADHD, all of these things we've talked about. So the eight or 10 or 12 hours every night is just system orientation. So your body gets to recover. Everything in your brain gets to find its resting spot. So all of the thoughts in your head, they all get to be processed and put in certain places. Sleep is the best recovery. Unfortunately, we just don't get as much anymore. And I'll tell you what, I'll tell you just my daughter specifically, if she's on her iPad until right before bed, she has a hard time that night falling asleep. It's a no brainer. So there's super easy fixes for kids with sleep. And it's generally, you know, limit screen time, limit sugar. Um, but for adults, well, limit stress. Oh goodness. Well, then that's like a different ball game. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. Well, and adults, though, I think have the same issues as kids, because just the other night, my husband's like, I have the hardest time falling asleep lately. And I was like, use some blue light glasses. You're on your phone till the second you fall asleep. And we know that blue light can affect the cortisol. So so it plays a role in adults, too. Oh, absolutely. And we like to say, oh, it's the kids and screen time. But like my husband and I at night, sometimes they're addicted to our phones. And then my husband and I are both. Oh, I can't sleep. Oh yeah. Well, no wonder, uh, because we are doing these things. Okay. So let me just tell you, I know that parents boohoo this for their kids. Melatonin. Yes. I received so many comments from parents that are so negative. How dare you recommend melatonin? I'll tell you why there's a couple reasons. One sleep is way more important than what melatonin might do. 
potentially over time. So if it's situational and you need to help yourself or your child to sleep in the moment, things like melatonin are incredibly beneficial. Another reason why I prescribe melatonin is because it is a TH1 immune system inducer. Mm. So if your child is suffering from allergies or eczema, I will sometimes recommend melatonin because that helps to induce that TH1 immune response. So like any medicine or any herb, if it's overused, it's, it can cause harmful effects, but I just wanted to plug melatonin. It's not such a bad guy and it is helpful in the moment when sleep is necessary. Okay. So I get asked about melatonin all the time as well. So I always say that it's fine situational, but some of these kids are on it for five, six, seven years. To me, that causes some issues. Awful. Right. So that's when I try to educate parents on everything in in certain amounts is okay. So moderation, but parents get used to the melatonin for kids or whatever it is for kids, uh, the ADHD med for kids. It's, oh, my kid's doing so well on it. I don't want to fix what isn't broken. Well, no, honey, something was broken to begin with and you didn't fix it. You just put a bandaid on it. So I I educate and educate and educate that everything in moderation, if we're going to put you on something, it's the idea that we're eventually going to get you off. I like that idea that it is to help someone get through something until we figure out the root causes and treat that. Absolutely. So just with all the topics we discussed today, I'm okay with putting you or your child on an antidepressant. I'm okay with putting you or your child on antihistamine or if absolutely necessary, a corticosteroid. Um, It's always with the intent that we find the cause and we start to wean you off of whatever that herb is or medicine is. I think of herbs as medicine as well. You don't necessarily want to always be on these. I love that approach so much. So thank you so much for being here and answering all these questions for me. What advice do you want to give these parents that are dealing with these kids and these health issues and are just overwhelmed with things? It's a process. So just take it one day at a time. So whatever you start with, follow through with it. And it might take some time but you can figure these out. You just need to find someone like a practitioner who will listen to you. And if your first or second or third attempt at finding a practitioner doesn't go how you had hoped, continue looking for someone who will help. There is someone out there. It might be an online Zoom consult, worst case scenario, but just keep looking to find someone who will hear you out and will help you through all of this muck. There's such a rise in epidemic of childhood illness, and it's not your fault, Mama. It's, it's really not. It's our system's fault. And not every doctor is a pro at everything. And so that's why I tell people, like, it is so fine to go to one doctor and just say, oh, thank you for your time. It's not going to work out with us. You know, it's completely acceptable to move to a new doctor because they all have their different strengths and what they can help you in. I absolutely agree. I, anything that is above my head, I refer out. So I, I feel that I feel that way. Other physicians feel that way. Um, we all have what we specialize in. So just try to find that doctor who specializes in what it is that your child is suffering or yourself. 
Thank you so much for being here. I love your approach on all of these topics. Tell my listeners where they can find you because I love following you on social media. I love everything that you post and teach. So tell them where they can find you. Uh, so on social media, you can find me most at Instagram at Dr. Green Mom. Again, I am one of those who have a backup account. <laughs> I think I think though I can be tagged now. Um, I, I've seen people tagging you lately. So which is good because when the first episode released, I could not tag you. So I was like, oh, she got her privileges back. I would love to know if you can tag me. Okay. I'll let you know. <laughs> so if you can check, but my backup account is dr period green mom at dr period green mom. Uh, my website is a plethora of fantastic information. Drgreenmom.com. There is so much info on there. Parents, if you have questions or you want to know how to treat anxiety or your child's eczema or how to treat COVID, all of that information is on my website. So you can head there. And if you want to figure out vaccines for yourself or your children, uh, actually, if you want to figure out vaccines for your children, go to vaccinestrategy.com. And that is amazing, that vaccinestrategy.com. So for sure, if you have kids and you want to know the pros and cons of vaccines and all of that, go to that vaccine strategy. It's amazing. Uh, thank you so much. Okay, so I always end my episodes, which you know, by and asking my guests what they have found to be the best ingredient to life. So you've already answered this question once. Do you even remember what you said? Foundation, because that's what I believe, a healthy foundation. Because if you don't have a sturdy foundation, eventually everything's going to fall apart. <laughs> that is true. And everything from emotionally to spiritually to physically to mentally. So I agree. That is such a Absolutely. great one. I'll tell you, though, lately it's been compassion from my husband because I see so compassion in general. I do. I have the ADHD brain. There's piles all over the house of all the things I've started yet haven't finished. And so having that understanding for yourself, for your children, that it may not just be them, but it's just what, what they're doing. It's not who they are. So compassion, I just think is so helpful for me right now, because I feel like I'm just spinning way too much. I love that so much. And I smile because I've got piles all over the house as well of things that I want to start, things that are halfway started, things that are almost done, dreams. <laughs> so well, my husband's like, can't you just put those away and then get them out when you're ready? And it's like, no, because if it's out of sight, it's out of mind. <laughs> exactly. If I put them away, I'm never going to do them. I right. agree. That's why I've got like 20 books by my nightstand because I'm going <laughs> to get to all of them eventually. I love it. Oh, that's awesome. Well, thank you again for being here. I know my listeners learned so much. It's so nice to talk to a doctor just about all these different symptoms. So thank you. Uh, thank you so much, Carolyn, for having me again. This was so much fun. Thank you so much for listening. Remember to subscribe to the Just Ingredients podcast to learn more about your health and good ingredients to life. Plus, get daily tips at just.ingredients on Instagram. 